Hello to all you empowered millennials tuning in. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you in on a little behind the scenes action. Because as you know, your girl is in her 40s and gets mistaken for a 27 year old quite often, like Benjamin Button just over here aging backwards. So not only do I live a life that I love, stress-free and full of fun, I also have been taking an anti-aging supplement from Rebalance Your Routine, which include glutathione, vitamin C, and resveratrol. Glutathione is known as the master antioxidant and helps to support the body's immune system and detoxification pathways. Vitamin C and resveratrol bring in even more antioxidant power to fight free radicals and help prevent the breakdown of collagen and reduce the appearance of wrinkles. So you can get these three anti-aging supplements for 10% off with free shipping by visiting rebalanceyourroutine.com and just look for the anti-aging supplement link at the top black banner on the top of the homepage. So again, y'all are going to want to get in on this ASAP. (laughs) Go to rebalanceyourroutine.com for more information. What's up, Trailblazing fam? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Empowered Millennials podcast. I'm your host, Angela Gentile, and thanks for tuning in to another episode. So let's stay connected, y'all. Visit the show notes for ways that you can empower yourself to do epic shit by becoming a member of our community with monthly workshops, fitness classes, custom empowerment coaching, and so much more. So it's everything, a one-stop shop, baby. Of everything you need to take bold, brave, empowered action in your life, make big decisions, and live a life that you love, not the one that everybody tells you you should. All right, so let's go all in together and make sure you visit the show notes. And if you're loving this pod, if you're getting some valuable info, please make sure that you like, follow, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other empowered millennials like you stay connected and up to date on all the episodes so you don't miss out on all this hype content. So again, please make sure that you visit that. All right. So today we are going to like dive into some heavy stuff today, y'all. We're going to chat about what happens when, when shit happens, when like the worst shit happens in our lives and ways that we could easily fall victim to it, feel helpless and let the circumstances dictate our story. So today we're going to tap into some really powerful and and traumatic events. So trigger warning for anyone um, sensitive to cancer or sexual assault. And we're going to talk about how we can recast our circumstances so that we can be the hero of our own story, to triumph, and above all else, be courageous. So today we welcome Jennifer Wallace to the show. She is, like we chatted before, and I was like, yo, you're so gangster. She is incredible, and her life experiences truly make her an expert of resilience, healing, and how to recover from trauma by rewiring your nervous system. She has experienced the worst form of violation and speaks candidly on her experience of fighting off a sex trafficker in Turkey to surviving stage three breast cancer. Jennifer truly is the intersection where the mind, body, and soul meet to heal, balance, and thrive. She is an expert in nervous system health and behavior change, particularly in as it relates to complex trauma. Jennifer is also the co-host of the Trauma Rewired podcast. And this podcast that teaches you about your nervous system, how trauma lives in the body, and what you can do to heal. Her passion is weaving nervous system intelligence into psychedelic healing spaces and believes the preparation of the nervous system is equally as important, if not more, than integration support. 
Through her own experience, research, and working with dozens of clients in this container, she has a clear understanding of subconscious repatterning and repatterning and behavior change from a safe nervous system. This work has propelled her healing and designed her for trauma-informed space holding. She bridges multiple dimensions to support women in the embodied quest for higher consciousness and wholeness. She is certified in neurosomatic intelligence and has been trained in yoga, Pilates, and holistic lifestyle coaching from the Czech Institute and facilitates as a neurosomatic coach for brain-based wellness. I know. So much. Are you all buckled up? Because we're really going to dive into some powerful conversations today. So Jennifer, thank you so, so much for coming to the show today. Thank you for such a warm welcome. Like I just, I'm so excited to be here with you, Angela. And I just love the time that we spent even before we hit record. So I'm I'm just yeah. looking forward to this time together and where it goes. Of course. Like, I feel like we actually should have been recorded too. a little, little preamble <laughs> that, we, <laughs> that we had. So, you know, I think what is really awesome about what we do here is just candid conversations. And I think I, I listened to you on a podcast and was just blown away about, about your story. So I think if you're comfortable, can we dive in about some of these really traumatic and painful events? Because I think your work in like neural rewiring and reprogramming of the nervous system is so powerful, but having gone through these events are proof that it is possible. So if, wherever you want to start, I'll kind of leave that up to you. Sure. Thank you. Um, Yeah, the nervous system is really the most incredible tool that you can work with because it is all about us. Like you are, it's all about you and your body and your relationship Mm. to it. And, you know, how many cell phones have you updated with your Apple? Like you also have an operating system that is able to be updated and thank God for it. Because like you said, I've just got some really big stories, you know, I've had um, some big experiences and what we know about trauma now is that it's not the event itself, but how it lives in the body. And what I didn't know that I can reflect back on in my younger years now is really how off the chain I was as a younger person, like so emotionally dysregulated, binge eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I sought cannabis out in my early teens. And then, you know, as soon, I, I don't know when I started drinking, but in my teenage years, like I was very dysregulated and I really swung the pendulum from anxiety to shut down pretty hard. And I was really angry and I just had like, I could never understand why. And I was just like trying so hard to always main a, a, maintain a status quo that like I never fit in. Yeah. And I just tried so hard all the time to just like, you know, go get this degree at this time and do the things that like we're supposed to do from this oppressive programming that we're all find ourselves in and trying to break out of. And so I really led this like kind of very different life. And when I was uh, 28, I decided I was going to move to London and go to school. They gave me a four year visa and I only had two years left to finish my studies. So I went to get a fine arts degree and I thought I was about to go take my dream job. I hooked Mm -hmm. up with a a man that uh, had a foundation for girls' education and water. Like those are two huge passions of mine, right? And yeah, and Africa has always been this like ultimate place I've always wanted to visit. And I thought, you know, I'm signing up for my dream job and Six weeks later, I found myself in a much different situation. 
um, after coming home from the beach one day, I lived with my boss's cousin. And after coming home from the beach one day, I was in the apartment by myself, an apartment that I paid my money to be in. You know, I I was paying my own way and I was sitting there in a, in a place that had no windows. No one could see me. And I was sitting in my bathing suit after coming home from the beach. And my boss's cousin came in. Fatosh was her name. And she just she she flipped. She started calling me all sorts of names. And, you know, Western women in some countries don't really have a very good reputation for whatever reason. Um, and so when I'm traveling, I always try to uphold the customs and, the, mm-hmm. you know, and I be respectful. be respectful. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For so sure. Uh, I was always wearing like cap sleeves almost down to my elbows, long shorts and so pants. So where, where were you at this oh, point? Oh, I'm so- sorry. I'm in Antalya, Turkey. Okay. So this is like where, before you got down to Africa, or this was just like a pit stop or this is your working stop. pit stop. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. I didn't mention that. So That's I okay. left London to take this work in Turkey as a pit stop to yes. Before okay. I went to Africa at the ripe age of like 22, 24 years old. Oh no, I was 32. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. 32. Got it. So, you know, there's not a lot of social media at that time, a little bit of Facebook happening, Instagram's just, yeah. so, you know, it's like, it's different. not, it's different way time. different. I wasn't like posting myself. I think that's one of the important things to talk about in this story is that for sex trafficking, for this level of assault, for any kidnapping type of things, you don't have to be exposing yourself, especially right. in today's world. Like where this was 14 years ago. Right. Now we're talking about like being in target. Right. 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 So we just really have to be aware of our surroundings. Yeah, well, I think I think that narrative, what you had said earlier about this like default system, this like patriarchal, oppressive, like systemically just insane system that we've adopted and sort of internalized, it almost is like these things as women were we, we internalize as our fault and our responsibility. Well, what were you wearing? Were you drawing attention to yourself? Where were you? And it's like, yo, I was literally in sweatpants looking awful. Mm-hmm getting toilet paper at target you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying so mm-hmm. i think what we're doing now is redefining this conversation of just like this has nothing to do with the women themselves and it doesn't matter what you're wearing you have the freedom to be able to do this this is not about you you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and it's almost not that. personal yeah 100 uh-uh. you're just can they get you are you like a a, a good target yeah. Does it seem like, and then, yeah, that's it. And yeah, Cause you know, it's you in the situation and the circumstance, like is who's around, who's mm-hmm. in on it is, do I have a clear pathway with the car, whatever the case is yeah. to be able to get out of there. There's so many factors and you just happen to be in that place at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you vulnerable know? is this woman in this situation? Right. Exactly. And, exactly. uh, you know, we're of us of an age where we lived through a lot of rape culture. Like mm-hmm. you said, like we have watched decades of men and people, groups mm-hmm. of people not be held accountable for the way that they treated women mm-hmm. and children. And we're still fighting still. for that safety everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fatasha and I get in this terrible agreement and a uh, terrible argument. And um, a few weeks prior, she introduced me to a young man who owned an IT shop. He was about my age and spoke really good English. So in those weeks, a couple times, maybe four or five, I would just cruise by there on my way back from the beach, just to like have an have a conversation in English, talk mm-hmm. about American things and kind of carry on. Innocuous, so would, just like innocuous, light, not even a big deal. Yeah, I really thought I was making a friend. 
I, right. I really did. I really right. did. Especially because you knew him through somebody that you trusted mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, I go up there with a list of Airbnbs when this afternoon I'd packed a bag and I knew I was going to stay somewhere. So I go up to the shop. I'm like, Hey, can you help me? We've had this a big explosion. I just can't, I need some time. My boss was away for the weekend. And so I just thought I need a few days without her. And then I'll go back to the house when he's back as my, you know, ally. And so he makes, goes through the list, makes me a reservation somewhere. And as we're leaving the IT shop, here comes this man that was very, oh, tiny beady eyes, you big sausage it. fingers. I felt it. I felt yeah. the energy of yeah. this man. And, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to, I'm not a first class citizen in Turkey. So I just turn my eyes and walk out the door. Like I'm just not going to engage. So Karim, that's the IT guy. We jump, we jump in his car. Uh, he's going to my apartment, help me pick up my bag. And we get in the car and he makes a real quick U-turn. He's like, you know what? I'll be right back. And what I believe now what is true is that in that moment of him going back into the shop he was connecting with the man at the door because that's the place he delivers me to is to that man's apartment under the guise of that we're going to i'm going to meet his girlfriend but i didn't know that uh karem sold me on this idea that he knew a young russian girl that spoke good english and I would be able to stay there for the weekend because her brother's out of town. How about that? Wouldn't that be so nice? And he just totally sold me on this Russian girl. Yeah. And uh, the creepy guy from the IT shop was her boyfriend who also lived in that house. Um, and I, I want to I want to put a pin in this because as someone who has traveled extensively around the world, this is kind of how backpacker culture is, you know, and and when people are like, wow, why would you go? Why would you do that? It's it was different in the in the 2010s early 2000s in that era like you just backpackers were safe hostels were safe ish you know what i'm saying and it was mm -hmm. like hey i have a friend you want to go to here like we're all going to go together and you'd meet people from around the world who are traveling by themselves so this was it was a completely like i'm hearing what you're saying and i was like yeah that's just what you did you're like cool want to meet a friend mm -hmm. awesome mm -hmm. great yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like hopping in the back of a pickup after a Great. concert to get you back to yourself to the car before you had Great. cell phones. No big deal. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. I'm yeah. just getting in the back of this car, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just, I trusted Karem. Mm -hmm. Even in the little bit that I knew him, I thought that we were developing trust. Mm -hmm. And so I took this as a, him being supportive. And when I got to the apartment, Alani was very welcoming. She was very kind. The apartment was clean. It looked totally normal mm -hmm. from what you could see. Instruments, art, it was decorated. Mm -hmm. There are several doors that I don't see past until much later. And so I go in, I put my bags down. There's two twin beds in the room. Um, I was wearing a t-shirt with like cotton palazzo pants, you know, like the big ones with like the six inch mm -hmm. um, elastic. So we hadn't been there too long before the creepy guy comes in, Sinon is his name, and he's got a totally different vibe. He seems really nice and lighthearted. And so mm. I kind of thought maybe I read that 
You know, I don't know. Like gaslighting yourself out of what you're feeling for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought I was being taken care of by people. And I really needed that, to be honest with you, after the language of what I had just been through with Fatosh and, and feeling like that had been just sort of like little ticks, ticks, ticks until the total explosion of this lady on me. And um, so Karem goes back to the IT shop. He closes down and comes back. And in the meantime, we've just been there chatting, having food. And um, everyone starts to Karem comes back with a case of beer. I have never been a beer drinker. When I cracked that second one is because only the other one went warm. And I was like having a hard time even faking that I was having any (laughs) beer. I mean, we're talking about, you know, and then they roll spliffs with tobacco and some really dirt weed. And I think the intention was to have me in a different state of consciousness, Mm -hmm. but you know, they don't know what my lifestyle is like prior to that. And I was pretty unfazed by the spliff that was going around. So it gets late. It's like 11 o'clock. Krem's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm getting out of here. And I'm like, cool. You know what? It's time for me to go to bed. I go in, I brush my teeth and Alani and the, and Sinan are like, hang out with us. Don't go to bed. You know, we took pictures, <laughs> all this stuff. Right. And so right. an hour goes by and I'm like, you guys, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to like spend some more time with you tomorrow, but it's time for me to go to bed. And as I'm sitting on, so as you open the door, you go into the room to the left and there's two twin beds. Okay. I'm on the one on the wall that the door is being opened on. And as I'm sitting there, I, I hear the door open. So I look over my shoulder and Sinon is just wearing tidy whities. And yeah. I s- said to myself, <laughs> actually said this to myself. I was like, brace yourself. He's coming for you. And he did. And um, yeah, I mean, he he wasn't a bigger man than me in height, but he was a much bigger man than me in body mass and Mm -hmm. in like, he's, you know, also a man. Testosterone, just in general, you know what I'm saying? And the first fight that we had lasted about five minutes. And it was a lot of, you know, hands and legs everywhere. He was having a really hard time getting my clothes off, even though those palazzo pants, but like holding my arms, holding my legs, doing what he needs to do to try and insert himself into me while getting like, he's got a lot going on Mm -hmm. and he can't manage the situation very well because I'm screaming, I'm kicking him, I'm punching him. He's punching me back. Um, And after probably about five minutes, he stops and leaves. And I'm like, okay. I put some jeans on because now I need a little bit more reinforcement. That's fucking crazy that you had, uh, like, I just need a second here. Like, that's nuts that you had this foresight of like, what can I do in this situation right now to make this harder at a button, at a snap, at a zipper, like eight pairs of pants on, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wow. It's really interesting when I reflect on it, how much I clearly spoke to myself and just Mm -hmm. like followed a list. It was like, and now do this and now do this. And so I grabbed my passport and my telephone and I thought, you know, I'm only on the second floor. There's two windows in my bedroom. I think I'm jumping out. Yep. Um, But it dropped like probably five stories, no trees, no nothing, just straight down. There's no way out from this room. 
So I thought, well, there's a way out of here in general. So I'll just drop my passport and my telephone and I'll go back for it later. At least it's not in this apartment. So to this day, this is the biggest piece of this puzzle that I have never understood. Um, as I'm there, oh, and I put another t-shirt on. So now I'm, now I'm layered in t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what to do now, what to do now. He comes busting through the door. He's holding my phone and my passport. And I'm like, what? How? How? And he's pissed. He is so pissed. And he's on the attack now. Much, much harder, way more aggressive. He just comes at me. And um, I mean, just like the, the aggression was next level this time. And I'm screaming for her. Um, and she at one point opens the door, looks at me, we eye contact and she shuts the door in the oh, middle of this. Shut the fuck up. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm alone. Yes. I'm alone. Yes. Oh my God. Um, and so we continue, he's got my pants unbuttoned. And at some point I had a memory I'd watched an Oprah from like my latchkey days and there was an elderly black lady who'd had a, a, a an attacker a predator come into her house in the middle of the night and she was like woke up to this man trying to rape her and she grabbed his genitals so hard that he begged her to call the police mm-hmm. and i thought of that lady i thought about that i was like i'm gonna try that and he had a reaction too quickly for me to carry that out as hardly as i would have wanted to because he mm-hmm. just I mean, he just hit me pretty hard at that point. And I did have a moment, honestly, where I was like, this is, this is a lot. This is really a lot. Like this guy is really strong. I don't know how long I can manage this fight. I'm feeling slightly defeated. And in that moment, I felt him like this touch of my labia. And I was like, oh, Hell fuck that. No, yeah, fuck like this. fuck uh-uh. that. Yeah. That is exactly all the fire I needed, dude. Because now, so now I'm back. Got my fire. I've got my fight back. And then once again, he just like stopped. Yeah. It went on for a little bit longer, but I would really only say probably a couple minutes. We're talking about like seven or eight minutes on this second one. And um he gets up and leaves. I regather myself and I sent Karim a text in all caps. I said, help me. And it was a Nokia flip phone. And after I sent that text, it made a little music. And uh-huh. guess who heard that from the hallway? Kidding. So here he comes. And now he's like, grab my, grab me by the arm. He's got my phone. He is trying to pull me out from the room. So now I'm trying to stay in the room because I don't know what's going to happen outside of the room. And when he's finally makes it clear to me that he wants me to go into the master bedroom where they are both going to sleep. And she's passed out in the middle of a king size bed on the floor. So floor double mattress. Well, maybe it was a platform bed. It was very low to the ground though. But anyways, so at some point he pushes me in and he orders me to go to the very far side and lay on that side of her. And so I, I do that and I lay on my side and I'm just kind of watching over my shoulder, watching him, watching his moves. And he's got like a set of keys on the big round where he's got like a thousand keys. I don't know what this is for, but you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Like a janitor, guy. like, yeah, like a janitor key. Yeah. 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 And he puts that thing of keys 
under a pile of clothes on the ironing board. So I'm immediately like, okay, rule that out. Mm -hmm. So I laid there for hours. I was putting snot and mucus and tears on the bed skirt. Her phone was next to me on the nightstand. So I powered it off and popped it in between the two mattresses. And I think, okay, I've got, got this tool and I got to figure out there's a, I've got to get out of this room. So yeah. I start sort of, you know, I'm listening to him snore. I'm listening to the pace of sleep that's happening. Yeah. The sun is, this is where you're like, I got to see if I can make an exit. Is he sleeping yeah. enough for me yeah. to leave? And is it, is it consistent? Yeah. 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 So the sun is, it's just starting to dawn and I'm like, you got to, you got to get yeah. up out of this room before the fucking sun is up Yeah, full on because they're going to wake up. Mm-hmm. So I grab the phone and I hold my breath and slink out and the door is a little bit open. I had to open it a little bit to kind of squeeze as much as I could through. I, you know, I'm looking at him just break, you know, yeah, bracing yeah. myself really. And I think, okay, I need a weapon. Go to the kitchen, get a glass. If anything, you're going to break it and shove it into his neck and over. Game over. Yeah. Game over. I'm so I grow, I grab my glass and now I'm like, okay, let's get out of here. There's, I don't know, know how many locks on the front door. The front door is not an option. <sighs> so I go out to the balcony and the balcony is on, is on the second story. So like, that's the first good news. Um, but it's basically just like a drop. I don't know if that's like marble or tile or what that is, but it's just down. So I'm like, okay, uh, I've never never done anything like that before, even like slid down. And I'm like trying to figure this out. And then I remember, oh my gosh, he took a picture of me the night before. I've got to get that camera so that when I get to the police, I'm going to be able to show them who these people are. So I go get this like little tiny red and red as hell, tiny point and shoot camera. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to keep it on my person. So I see an agave plant, like, I don't know, 20 yards away. And I chuck it as far as I can, mm-hmm. I don't even know what I was thinking. Like I cannot throw you guys. That's right. We um, did it. And it landed easily five or eight feet in front of that agave plant. It's just like this red camera on this turf. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well it's out of the house. So I turn around. Oh, I tried turning her phone on. It needed a code. So that didn't pan out. I just left it on the side yeah. of the building and uh, I turn around and there he is. Fuck, are you are you still on the balcony at this point? I'm on the balcony. Oh my god. Okay. And my glass is not in my hand. It is mm-hmm. on the table and he has got me by the hand and he is pulling me back in. And he is like he's shocked and he's fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. So I have this moment where I think play nice. Mm-hmm. See what happens. Right? Mm-hmm. Like fawn a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that did not work. And I didn't stay in that place for very long. <laughs> um, at some point, he realizes that that camera is not there. And he starts to trip out. And he's yelling at me. And he goes to the bedroom. He wakes Alani up. He pulls her out. And he's telling her that I have done something with the camera. And they're playing this game of like what felt to me like charades. Because yeah. I don't really know all of the words they're saying. But he's definitely telling her that my passport and my telephone. And I dropped them out the window the night before. So clearly I've done it before. I've done something with this camera. Yeah. And they proceed to look all over this house. I mean, 
Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. But I think there's pictures of other girls on there. A hundred percent. That's evidence. Something. Yeah, evidence. It's obviously really important, you know, mm-hmm, incriminating mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. Yeah. And he keeps coming at me about this camera. I'm like, dude, I don't have your fucking camera. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And so he gets his keys and he starts heading out the door. Unlock, 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 unlock. I'm right on him. And he doesn't like that very much. He grabbed me by the throat and pushed me back. And so, okay, he goes out the apartment, lock, 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 lock. Alani goes to the bathroom and I followed her. And I was like, I don't know exactly what I said, but just like pleading with her. Like, help I have me. to get out of her. Please help me. Yeah. Like, please. I'm like, I'm scared. I need your help. Where are your keys? And she's just like, brushing me off, telling me like, this is not a big deal. Calm down. Everything's fine. No, everything's not fine. And then here comes the locks getting unlocked. So here he comes and now she comes out of the bathroom. I'm standing in the living room. They've gone to split up. Like I said, she's looking in cabinets and drawers in the trash. Um, and I remember the night before that she had cut a loose string from his t-shirt and it was like, um, a really small pair of scissors, not like nose trimmers or but yeah, like, like, na- three like or nail, four, little nail stripper, nail scissors like, or something. But like three inch blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I grabbed it really quickly and I stuck it underneath of where where my bra clasps. Mm-hmm. He comes out from the bedroom, hands me my phone and passport. I popped him in this other side of my bra, and I'm like, this is kind of confusing. But yeah, um, what? what is going on? Yeah. Here? And so he goes to go back out the door. And so I follow him and he's like, no, he grabs me by the throat and pushes me down. As soon as I hit the couch, I'm right back up. I mean, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And this last time that I got up, I just, I grabbed the scissors and I held them with like the blade going up my forearm. And I had my arm down by my side. And I just said to myself, like, it's you or him. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be you. Like, yeah. let's just, we got to get this done. Mm-hmm. We don't go to the second location. Like things are getting no, very intense. That's, rule, very that's confusing. rule number one. That's rule, rule number, number one. one. Don't ever get moved. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. I know kind of where I am right now. And the sun yeah. has just come up. So I've got daylight to figure, you know, everything's just like feels so compounding now. Because mm-hmm. some, you know, like I said, the overnight's gone by. So when he turns around and grabs me by the throat, he had, I, thought it was probably the the worst of the choking that he had done. So I was like, okay, do it. So I stabbed him first in the throat, which, well, I'll get back to that. I stabbed him first in the throat and then I stabbed him in the nose. And then I drug the scissors across his face as hard as I could. And at that time, I mean, the first time I stabbed him, he, kn- he knows now something's happened because now I'm coming up again. Yeah. And he lets go of my neck just enough to punch it. But because I'm watching all of this in slow motion, uh-huh. I dodge it. So I think he totally would have broke my jaw had he had mm-hmm. made the impact that he landed that shot. Um, so I get the second stab in his nose and down his face. And then he's he's at me now. He's got his he was bleeding profusely, but he get he knocks me a little bit. And when I let go of the scissors, they break on the floor as they hit and um and he runs to the mirror the closest mirror and sees that look i mean you can touch your neck i'm this is a puncture wound Mm -hmm. this is not the lethal 
This is, this is, this did not go the way that I had envisioned. Right. 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 And now I'm if, feeling, you know, you had one shot to like nick the artery. Uh-huh. You know? and, I, it, and I, that did not happen. Yeah. And now I'm feeling very fucked. Yeah. Now I don't know what, and he what? leaves the mirror. <laughs> he goes into the kitchen we're talking about an open plan right mm -hmm. so i'm just like watching the whole the whole thing yeah. go down he goes to the kitchen opens the drawer and pulls out a nine inch carving knife and he comes at me on the couch and he is like stabbing the air and i'm dodging the knife like he's not doing it intentionally he's doing it to scare me but he's getting very close, very close. Yeah. things are getting like i said i am feeling pretty defeated i'm starting to think about my mom a little bit i'm an mm -hmm. only child I'm starting to kind of think about these things and like, fuck, he stands me up. We are face to face and he is, I mean, he's holding this knife like psycho. And I said to myself, this is it. He's going to kill you. You're going to die. You did your best, but it's over. And then this force of, I don't even know what just came in. I, it's the only thing I know to say that would divine intervention is what this experience was. And then in the next breath, I said to myself, or something said to me, you're not going to die. And so he turns away. He starts to walk away from me. And I sit back down on the couch and he looks at me and he says, I'm calling the police. And I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. very confused don't know what this is going to be like you know the real police yeah because who I'm, are you this calling gonna, yeah, yeah this isn't gonna you're not gonna come out looking very good in this situation if you call the police like right, right. this doesn't even sound right so some i don't know 10 minutes later here comes a guy in some blue board shorts and a pink ralph Lauren <laughs> polo <laughs> police and, yeah exactly i'm like uh-oh i might end up in like some dirt I don't even know. Yeah. Like, what is this ain't the good police? <laughs> right. Like what's happening now? Who? Yeah. This mm -hmm. is nuts. This is wild. Nuts. Okay. So nuts. And so once again, the charades and, you know, the guys listening, to the story is looking at me and then Sinan says, I'm calling Karem. And I'm like, okay, so here comes Karem charades, charades. Karem comes down and sits in front of me. He says, Jennifer, what have you done? And I was like, you know, I, I wanted to fucking kill him. I mean, honestly, right there. But I'm like, look, you got to get me out of here. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, things that this is very bad. I'm like, oh, this is very bad. It's an understatement, Karam. You need to get me the fuck out of here, dude, for real. And Sinan is still holding the knife, walking yeah. around. Yeah. So as I'm talking to Karam, I'm look at the knife, look at Karam, look at the knife, look at Karam. And eventually, Karam gets the message, Finishes our conversation, stands up, gets the knife from Sinon. They have a conversation. He comes back to me and says, get your things. So I, um, I go to the bedroom, get my things. It's like a quick silver duffel. And there's the two flights down is down this incredibly grand marble staircase that looked like something out of like a, it was, you know. Yeah. It's art. an entrance. Yeah. 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 And I was so scared he was going to push me down those stairs as we're walking down. So like I held the duffel on my body because he's behind me. Karem's in front of me. We get to the car. He's still asking about this camera. I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know about this camera. And so Karem and I take off. I think Karem's taking me back to my apartment. He takes me down to the beach. It's like 10 a.m. He has a beer, gets me a coffee. And everyone's looking at me real funny. I don't know why. I'm just like dressed in my clothes as far as I, I know. 
And he's like telling me how bad things are. And now what am I going to do? And I'm like, dude, I'm getting on a plane to London. Like first thing you're going to take me to my apartment. I'm getting on a plane and I'm going home. He goes, you're not going to go to the police. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to the police. I'm ready to, I just, I want out. Get me out. I just want home. Done. I just need to get out. Yeah. And so he takes me back to my apartment, but my apartment has like a little bit of a lobby where you can get buzz, buzz up. Yeah. And I'm on the eighth floor. That's my apartment's on the eighth floor. And when you buzz, when you hear the buzz, you don't know who's down there. You just Mm -hmm. decide, are we letting this person in or not? Total. Yeah. There's no call box or anything like that. I'm not going up there. Yeah. So I wait for him to drive away. I go to my neighbors in the next building who had I'd met at the beach a couple of times. And so they buzz me up, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, as they open the door, I'm like, oh my God, I feel relief. I go to like fall into them and they stop me and push me away. And it's then that I realized that the yellow Brazil jersey I'm wearing is like covered in blood. Oh my God. Because every time Sinon was over me with the knife, yeah. I didn't even realize, but he's just like gushing blood on me. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> And you're at the beach, you're in public, like not I'm even at the beach thinking. in public at 10 in the morning. Yeah. I don't know why people are looking at me and why didn't anyone stop me to see if I was okay? I don't, I don't have, any. I don't know, whatever, but I have nothing. <laughs> so I, um, I call my dad, I put my clothes in a bag. I don't take a shower. I call my dad and I call the mayor of the town's daughter. Cause I know her, she's 14 and she speaks English. Bless her heart. I, you don't want to tell children these you know, yeah. she was Short, like, are you okay? Baby. And I'm like, yes, I'm okay, but I need you to get your mom and I'm going to need, she's the only one who speaks English in her family. I need you to tell your mom something. And I tell her that a man held me captive and tried to rape me. And, oh, I can hear the gasp on the other side of the phone now. So mm-hmm. like, bless her heart. So few hours go by, get to their house. We get to the police station. The chief of police is this amazing man. He's like a Turkish Tommy Lee Jones. He's, he's gorgeous. I mean, he's just like ostrich boots, the belt. I mean, he's just like so cool, right? Like you trust this man. He smells like Stetson. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. So uh, we get in the car. I drive him to the IT shop because I know how to get there very easily. Um, and he says to me, don't worry, we'll be here in the morning when, when they open this up. Okay. Now off we go to try and find the apartment, which I couldn't do. Then we go to the hospital. I spent hours at the hospital because they've got to do all the rape kits, all the stuff. DNA, which yeah. Yeah. There was none in me. There was no penetration whatsoever of any kind in my mouth, my any, anywhere. And even the bruises weren't really even surfacing because it's only been a few hours. And so that took all night. And then the mayor and his brother owned a hotel in the neighboring town. Brother takes me there. I gets me a room. I go in. I think finally I can have a shower after I move all the furniture in front of all of the doors and get myself as secure as I can in there. I go in and take a dry, wet shower. No soap in there. No. Yep. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm like nodding off in bed, I get a phone call and it's the U.S. Embassy. My mom had reached them. They're putting me in contact with the British consulate because there's no U.S. Embassy in this town. Um, British consulate and her husband live in the town I'm in. So here, here comes a Scottish man <laughs> to my rescue. Thank God. Oh, my God. Um, 
and uh he was lovely and in the on the way to take me to the consulate his wife's office i got intercepted by turkish tommy and they are at the apartment and they want they want me to go there so okay so i put on the little booties and do my interpretive dance around the apartment um after i had stabbed sinon alani tried so hard to like she was just cleaning up blood i mean it was just like business as usual for her there was nothing uh, weird like she's just yeah. you know what does this every every mm -hmm. week you know mm -hmm. yeah so uh my toothbrush was still in the bathroom there were still a couple of my things there on the bed skirt i pointed out my dna this is my snot these are my tears um these these are some blood splatter that she didn't clean up they'd each left a smoked cigarette in the where ashtray. were they where were they gone the house was slightly disheveled and they took off mm -hmm. did you go get um, the camera it was gone it was gone. Okay. It was the first thing I did was go out onto the balcony. Yeah. And it was gone. I mean, look. Yeah. It was a it was like a red, cherry red tiny. Yeah. Not easily like camouflage. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the consulate was amazing. She took great care of me. And um nine months later, they had a picture of Sinan. Turkish Tommy and his detective drive me to the airport. Turkish Tommy. <laughs> And uh, showed me a picture of Sinan. And I was like, yeah, that's him. His, his hair is a little bit shorter. And now he's going to have a massive scar. Like, that's not going away. Yeah. Um, and he'd gotten that image from where they'd rented the apartment. And when I'd gone through the apartment, I for totally forgot to mention this. Now I get the view of, like, the other rooms that I don't see. And I get to see where was the room I was at in. The mm -hmm. two twin beds, they're both children's bed covers the um the one that i was in was like a little girl's flowery the other one was like a japanime nickelodeon i don't even know what yeah the room across the hall from me had bunk beds in it and then the room next to me had no the room next to me was the bathroom and then the bathroom had no windows in it and the room next to it had bunk beds in it and this is why I still can't figure out how did he know I dropped my things out the window because I went back through there. Yeah. I saw it all and I saw it much, much differently. Yeah. Had, knowing what I know now and to anyone listening, like those little details of the, the mattress, like the bed sheets and all that, all that shit matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what I would have done in the realizing of that, but something would have, I, I don't know, maybe something would have looked very different, but yeah. Uh, like nine months were, later yeah no i feel like there were probably people in the adjacent apartments watching like everybody's in on it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know in case people so try to ex escape and shit you know what mm -hmm, i mean mm -hmm. I, yeah, I can't maybe. think of anything else i can't either i really can't either he's got onlookers like hey we've got one we've got a live one you're on the perimeter yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but uh nine months later i testified i have no idea what happened but I got to go down, not to a courthouse, but to a federal building. Um, I'm from Virginia originally. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a lot of government and um, military in Virginia. So I um, I testified at a federal court and I have no idea what happened. Did you did you face to face with him? Oh, no, uh -uh, okay. no. It was just me, a court reporter and an attorney. Holy shit. So was this part of a very large sex trafficking ring i have no idea okay. I, I i don't know anything and i've tried to figure it out 
um, just by trying to do a little bit of research. But uh, at this time, and I don't know what our relationship relationship with Turkey is like today, but at this time, and this was 2010, I testified, it wasn't great. Yeah. And the lawyer told me like, we're the likeliness of us ever knowing what happened is very, oh, very slim. Even just like with your story and, and all of the other potential things, what was on that, like God only knows what was on that camera, everything. God, like, just, the, girl, the women on that camera, like who yeah. was on that camera. And I, yeah. I really hope that I was mad at Alani for a really long time. I was pretty pissed at her, but you know, as time goes by, I, I really hope she's okay. I hope she got out of that. Yeah. I just hope her, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's Sad. a product. She's a victim too. Totally. She's, 100% you know, that, doing the best she can to survive her situation. Right. right. Cause you don't know what goes on with her. You don't know yeah. how she has been harmed and will continue to be harmed. You know, sometimes you do try to placate just to avoid pain and yeah. Yeah. abuse, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Ooh, all right. I feel like we need to just take a, holy shit, Jen. That's a lot. That's a lot. I will take a deep breath for a minute. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. I need a minute. Um, Thank you. Just what an incredibly powerful fucking gangster badass story. I think what's really incredible is, is the way that you were so very present with yourself in that moment to be like, because a lot of people when faced, I'm one of those people who's good under crises situations, but I don't know how I'd be with that. But like for a car accident, I'm like, okay, this is what we got. This is what we're doing. Here's how we got, you know what I mean? And I, when you are personally impacted by this, so uh, just to be able to have this insight to be like, no. I need to stay alert. This is what I'm going to do. And you're always on the swivel. I think, where did that come from? Well, you know, we talked about being feral children of (laughs) the eighties, early (laughs) eighties, um, and running the streets and, you know, like so much learning out, just figuring it out. out. I always, I always was someone just with a lot of street smarts. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, that's where my smarts came from. But in saying that, I know now that that comes from a lot of hypervigilance in my nervous system. I know that comes from like the early childhood experiences that I have that create my ACE score of four that I'm always in. Yeah. You know, and even like now, it will not now, but like leading up, if there's any like I mean, I'm a huge fan of psychedelics, but like, you know, I'm always the person monitoring people at parties. Like, mm-hmm. hey, don't give that guy anymore. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She's, we lay out a, that. yeah. 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 Or like yeah. I got an Irish goodbye out of here. Like things are getting a little unsafe. Right. So yeah. I've always lived so hyper vigilantly and learned to just watch people. And I was a bartender for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, so being in the I service do. industry taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. When you do that for a living, you see things and you start looking at it from a different perspective rather than a consumer. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just always had those experiences that kind of, and like I said, I'm an only child. So I was pretty used to like, it's me. Yeah. Taking up and spending for yourself, taking care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Cause I I think that that's a, a really incredible piece of the story is just having this innate ability to be able to mitigate and manage and think on your feet and think about what comes next. Even what you're saying is that it is almost like a trauma response and it is coming from a 
heightened. I mean, that's the fight or flight nervous system. It's literally the adrenaline is pumping through your body to be able to get you to hightail it the fuck out of whatever situation you're in as fast as possible. So whether it's an attacker or a Mm -hmm. lion, we are hardwired to be able to do this. So can we talk a little bit about, oh, go ahead. Sorry. And that bracing that I did, that was the, was part of that you know, that you talk about with that fight flight, like that muscle tension, that all of that energy going into my muscles to fight. Yeah. Yeah. For my body, you know? Yeah. Like the mothers who lift the car or whatever for their children, you know, that Mm -hmm. is a very real biological response for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Um, I just, I am not a mother, but like, I do find people who do have children, like God bless. That is a, that is a journey. That is something. That is something. Amen. Yes. And y'all are doing amazing. Out yeah. There. <laughs> everybody's doing great. Everybody's doing great. If no one told all the moms on this show, I know that I talk a lot about being child free, but I do like God bless. That's amazing. So mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit about now? You know, I know obviously we're going to jump like 10 years or something, but being able to, when you got out of this and you're like home now, how do you get back to a place where you feel human? Oh God. Years, safe. Took years and years. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when I came home, I was like, I was a mess. I wanted a gun. I needed yep. like not leaving know. the house. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, um, of course I did not get a gun at this time. Uh, one of my friends, uh, is a martial artist and put me in jujitsu. Absolutely. Which yep, was something. way healthier. Um, <laughs> but I was very scared. I was scared of people. I was scared of the car backfiring in the cul-de-sac in the middle of the night. Like I was very scared. My insomnia mm-hmm. was off the charts. I mean, I just couldn't sleep. I was drinking. I was secretly drinking. I was in my parents' house and I didn't want them to know how bad things were. And um, I was drinking secretly and I straight up told several men, one man in Coles. I was, I was at Coles one day. I, I mean, I left Turkey with barely anything. So I'm like getting underwear and you know, like the big round table with all the panties on there, get six, get yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look up and there's an older man across the table from me. And my first thing is like, what the fuck are you doing here? hundred percent. He makes eye contact with me. And I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you if you don't get out of this apartment. <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I said it several times. I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Look at me like that. Yeah. I'm not yeah. afraid of anyone yeah. now. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm drinking. I'm like, you know, yeah. a total yeah. mess. Gangster Jen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was probably not fun for my parents that time. Yeah. Um, but I was also doing like work with healers. Like I worked with this man who did like Atlantean crystal technology. He was working with me to, um, connect with Christ consciousness and learn about forgiveness. And like all these things were happening. My grandfather was dying. So it was like this huge mess. And eventually like mm, six years later, I think, or so I, I run away and come to Texas. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. And I just like, no, one year later, a year and a half later, I run away to Texas and started all my same server industry, all the same things. And then I get breast cancer stage three. And that was really the portal to my awakening. Yeah. And that's really when I leaned into that, like divine intervention and connecting with the something greater that connects us and then nervous system work. Because when you're in that chronic state of just like adrenal pumping, Mm -hmm. just 
in that heightened, you know, like sympathetic state all the time, Mm -hmm, your mm -hmm. body is living in a chronic state of inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to hurt you. I mean, from what I know now, it's like, of course I got sick, all that stress, all the stress before I went to Turkey, right. From the early childhood. And I was that pendulum and now it's like, and then this, and then this, and like, not to mention the fact that like, you know, we've experienced body boundary violations of the spectrum our entire lives. Whole time. Whole Whole time. time. He didn't mean it. Just go give him a hug. He didn't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. It's this creep of the grocery store looking at you or people talking about our bodies or, you Mm -hmm. know, the objectification, like we're up against a lot in our bodies. And I think women have a low key stress all the time. 100%. We're just like our baseline operating is already at like a six. Yeah. We're at like a level three cortisol bath all day long. All day long. Yeah. (laughs) Just as soon as our feet hit the floor, you're like, hands up. Like, who do I have to, who am I fighting now? I went like, I just, I just went to the fucking ATM the other day and some guy like got out of the car to try and step to me. I'm like, Oh honey, you're beautiful. Look at your legs. And I was like, yo, I'm not even safe to go to the goddamn ATM. And I sat in my car and cried. That's not cool. But, but right. That kind of like life existence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. happens all the time. So I, I, so now you're like in this other like life crisis and I don't want to omit that, but I feel like, because I want to be mindful of our time. Now you, you had said like, this is now the journey. This is where you're like fucking awakening, Mm -hmm. awakening. What did that kind of look like for you and your own healing and your own rewiring? I leaned into a lot of the Pak Chopra and the soul of healing. Um, he really believes in the body as like a this healing machine and this all this innate wisdom and divine knowledge and intelligence. And so I started leaning into that. I prayed every day. I meditated every day. I mean, at some point, I didn't really have anything else to do because the treatment is so intense. Mm-hmm. You can only lay there. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to lay here. The first thing I did when I got the diagnosis was I went into a mushroom ceremony, a tea ceremony for myself Okay. because I needed to know, I already knew it was stage three, HER2 positive and HER2 is a protein gene that goes mutant out of a toxic environment. We all have a HER2 gene that okay. lives in our hearts, all of us, men and women. And so um, I knew that it was very serious and that something was really, I I needed to meet the killer that that, there was something in my body coming for me and I wanted to meet it. And the only way I knew I was going to be able to do that fully was, um, in a psychedelic space. So I served myself had an unreal journey. I did meet what the tumor I, I met it and just basically said, you know, thank you for showing up here. I honor that you have come. And that you have a deep message and fuck no. Yeah. Thank you. But you're, you will leave. Thanks for coming to meet me, but this is a no. Um, and I didn't think I was going to go into treatment. I said it over and over and over again. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I can do this. I know I can do this. And I'd gone to several doctors and anyone who gets a diagnosis, like go find your team of people that you can communicate with, that you connect to. And I finally found a doctor. It was October, 2014. And I said, look, give me till January. Let me do my thing. And if it doesn't work and that nothing's getting better, then I'll totally do whatever you want me to do. And he said, Jennifer, you'll be dead by January. You will not make it. It's not, I love what you're saying. 
I would love to support you in that, but you don't have that kind of cancer and you won't live. So, wow. Okay. Chemo, yeah. radiation, 18 treatments, 30 rounds of radiation. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, holy shit. And I healed in the top 40th percentile. Actually, I did great. They were like, not even worried about me at the end of it. That, it after six treatments, I, I mean, we could feel the tumor going away because if you, they measure your breasts like a clock. They didn't take it. You didn't do a mastectomy or anything? It was like too big. It was okay. too big because the tumor was from one o'clock to four o'clock. It was oh, nine, it was yeah. nine centimeters. That's like wow. four inches. Yeah. And they won't operate on something that large because they could cut it. It could spread all these things. So chemo first. And we, I, it was, you could knock on it. It was like coming out of my, it was like my elbow. And so it was really easy to measure as it was melting away. And every day I visualized it melting away every day. I would just do really intentional work around. Yeah. And you have to give that credit to that intentionality and to that energetic work of aligning your body and resetting your body and taking control of -hmm. your body to Mm -hmm. the healing. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I hate the word woo and I hate the word, like, you know, it just, it really is. We are all energy. We're all atoms and matter vibrating at different frequencies. So your frequency determines like what your ecosystem is. So, you know, you get to set that tone and you get to set that frequency with your mindset, with the words you speak, with what you consume for food, for information words, etc. you know, 100. Totally. That's yeah. so right. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing this work now with other people to help trauma survivors, like to go deep into rewiring this trauma? Because I don't know if anyone would come out of that situation or any sexual assault or trafficking or cancer. These are all really traumatic, heavy things that can change the course of our lives, can change our entire perception of existence. So how do you I don't know if anybody would have come out of this being like, no, I'm in control. I got this. I'm the hero of my story. You know what I mean? So how are you helping people now to be forgiving, to look at their cancer saying, thank you for showing up as this gift, because this is the cancer. And this is the thing that got you your awakening moment. Yeah. So how do you help people reach that point? I work with people's nervous systems. Like you were saying um, in the beginning, I think everything comes down to a nervous system. Like I don't, we don't believe on trauma rewired about personalities. You are wired the way that you are from Mm -hmm. attachments, from your relationships. The brain is a social organ. We are all connected in this universe. Like we're the brain is like the universe is like a giant brain. Yeah. Um, And so I really love to guide women in embodiment and bringing them home into their bodies and guiding them on their path so that they can rewire their nervous systems. And and also with that comes like the subconscious patterning of the limiting beliefs. You know, for a long time, I lived with beliefs that like I was, I was, especially after Turkey, I already felt like I had worthiness and value patterns. And then it was like my body and all these weird things. And then after that, it was like, I was scared to be visible. I was scared to use my voice. I was scared to leave the house for a long time. When the pandemic hit, I was kind of threw me a little bit, kind of put me right back into that pattern for a second because all of a sudden the world felt very unsafe. And so I had to like upgrade my alarm system, <laughs> you know, and this is yeah. like more time goes by, more work, more nervous system regulation. And, you know, you can't have 
well, maybe you can have a successful podcast where you use your voice and visibility, but like I, there was a gap there, right? Like, how do I have this? And I'm scared over here. So Mm. I had to heal a lot of patterns, even around my creativity, because, you know, I just graduated with a fine arts degree and got kidnapped. So I wasn't creative for a long time. Like my creativity was wrapped up in my survival. And so I had to really look at my subconscious patterns and think about what are these beliefs? What actions, what, how am I behaving that support this belief and how am I going to interrupt this? Okay. And like binge eating was a huge thing for me all my life. I healed my binge eating through my nervous system because binge eating is just a protective mechanism, just like anxiety or Mm -hmm. chronic fatigue or migraines or pain or, you know, those thought loops and like those imaginary conversations. Mm -hmm. Oh, I used to have a lot of imaginary conversations. Oh, we love a good story. We love a good dress rehearsing of a tragedy that has not happened or might not ever happen just to keep ourselves. Yeah. We just like to keep ourselves in that chronic state of Mm -hmm. Uh fuck off. (laughs) And back to the stress, back to that low vibe stress. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've tried so many modalities and I'm down with just about everything. I love all the things and I think do everything, do all of it, do, do anything. All of it. Yeah. Do whatever but works. Also work with your nervous system. Yeah. It's yeah. so complimentary to all modalities. I mean, it just, this is, you have a nervous system and your fight looks different from mine. You might lean more towards flight, you mm-hmm. know, like we have wired pathways that are neural networks. And now we have to rewire the neural network. Yeah. I mean, how fucking cool is it that we can even do that? Yeah. Yeah. To be in and control of that. Yes. You, yeah. you are not stuck wherever you are. Like we are wired in a way that we can always shape and change. But that neuroplasticity, that aspect, it's neither good nor bad because just as good as I could get at one thing, I can get just as good at maladaptive behaviors. Right. Like if I want to be depressed, draw the blinds, eat chips and watch Bravo, my brain's going to help me get better at that. Yeah. Yeah. No offense, Bravo. I love you. No, I mean, sometimes we just need to like have a snack and watch (laughs) them down with Bravo. I love it. But, (laughs) um, you know, there's a difference there that that chronic shutdown. Yeah. You know, all that fear. Yeah. It creates disease states. Absolutely. Like we uh, said. Yeah. And the more that you can get conscious of it, the more that you can gain control of it, it Mm -hmm. doesn't run rampant and control you and create sickness in your body. Yeah. And we can live any life you desire, you know, like it feels so nice to be embodied and autonomous and just feeling so heart opened. Yeah. After so long of it, just feeling like hiding and shutting down. Yeah. So it's a much different life now. I'm super grateful. Yeah. It seems like it's a very beautiful, empowered, grounded life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm here for that. I'm yeah. Me that. too, girl. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so before we wrap up, just um, we're going to play a little game here called How Millennial Are You? I love um, games. Yeah. It's a super serious game. Um, the points are matter. You know, everything's real. And that's, that's it. Okay. Um, I just appreciate you sharing our story. And I think, you know, we talk about some really heavy things on this podcast, especially with your episode too, that I think it's important to find this balance of like, look, everything is all possible 
all at once. Like we can mm-hmm. go through these really shitty things and be empowered in our life and take control of our life. And we can play a stupid game and everything's fine. God, it's so <laughs> so true. Like it's all about, it's about all of it, right? The everything's pain, happening. The, chaos, all at once. the joy, the rage, like yeah. let's bring it. Uh, yeah. We want healthy nervous systems for all of that. Yeah. It's, it's no one gets out of this. The end, the, the end result is the same for all of us. This you know, is true. do you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, it's not that serious. I know not that serious. it's not really serious. not. And it can be way more fun. Totally. So let's make it fun. Let's, let's make it fun. Let's have okay. Some fun. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to read, um, a series of statements and you are going to guess who this person is. I'll give you a hint. It is a, a uh, no, I won't give you a hint. You'll get it. Okay. You'll get it. Okay. Ready? <laughs> yeah. I am, or I'm asking you a series of three questions. Let me just back up. And they progressively get harder. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like I said, real serious here. <laughs> All right. Um, I am a reality TV sh- show star. My real name is Nicole Pelizzi. While shooting in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, I was punched in the face at a bar. Who am I? Nookie. Yes. Yes. You See? said New Jersey. I was like, okay, all yeah. right, I'm at least hmm. in this realm. <laughs> Punch in the face, New Jersey. It's got to be somebody on that show. It's got to be. Awesome. <laughs> all right, cool. What links these three clues together? Frozen dessert, green tea flavor, tart original flavor. Lipton iced tea? No. Mm-mm. So frozen dessert. Oh, frozen dessert. So you used to go into the store. I don't even know if it's around anymore. And you could put like things in the frozen dessert, like mochi and like. Oh my fruit. God. And they had like those sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Here failing this one. Pink berry? No. No. You're, you, you live in Texas. Oh, now? it's like a TCBY. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. Mm, but, mm, but LA, like, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> but LA. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Last question. I'm going to give you four films, movies, and you have to put them in order of their rainy of their rating from G to PG to PG 13 to R. Okay. 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 <laughs> Pretty woman. <laughs> Ghost, Mulan, and Groundhog Day. Okay. I'm going Mulan, Groundhog Day, Ghost, Pretty Woman. Bingo. That's it. Nailed it. Nailed it. I'm glad. <laughs> Look at Ice Tea. What was I thinking? I don't even I don't know. know before. I don't know. Wait, do, you have, do you have Pink Berry in Texas? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's everywhere. It's like bougie freaking yogurt. Like <laughs> I tell you what, if I do, I'm going to stop and take a picture and have some, and I'll let you know. I love that. All right, Jennifer, before we wrap up, um, where can everybody find you? How can they get in touch with you? How can they keep listening to you? Um, if you are interested in learning about your nervous system and some of the things that we talked about here today, fight, flight, perfectionism, uh, dissociation, we talk about all of this in season two, we lay out the groundwork so easily for people to understand their nervous systems and understand how trauma does live in the body and why would you want to heal it? Um, 
And then in season three, we're opening, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about attachments, we're talking about the social brain, we're talking about all the relationships that we have with each other, with ourselves, our bodies, culture. Um, It's really fun so far. And uh, so Trauma Rewired would be the podcast. And then on Instagram, I also run the Trauma Rewired account, and that's where I'm most visible. Okay, we'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank and you. Yeah, of course. And and just some final parting words for anybody who may be in the aftermath of a major traumatic event and may feel hopeless or stuck or anything that you want to say as words of empowerment and encouragement. You know, to make a change, it doesn't have to be something massive every day. If you think about creating a ripple in the pond. You don't have to throw a massive boulder. It just takes a little start. Mm-hmm. It takes a little pebble. It just takes a little change of what you do every day. And with functional neurology, we have tools that are science-based that we will teach you to work with your nervous system. And you are not stuck where you are. I promise you that. Like You are intelligently designed to change however you want to. And so if you can just find that glimmer of hope, that light inside of you, and maybe try and connect with something greater than you are, whatever calls you forward, just start answering the call because everything in in us wants to live. It wants to survive. It wants to thrive. So just take the brave leap and that's it. Y'all take the brave leap, be the, be the empower, take the empowered choice, the empowered path. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's scary as fuck and it's going to be messy, but it's okay. It's so worth it. It's okay. You're supported. You're supported by the universe. There are two women on this, on this podcast right Mm -hmm. now who will support the hell out of that journey. So I'm straight. That's right. (laughs) All right, everybody, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing. Like, I think one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Thank you for, for being so open and vulnerable and raw and, and just a real, gangster human. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you for holding a safe space for me. And just like, you know, one gangster to another. Yeah. That's it. Oh, I love that. We're going to end it right there. Y'all one gangster (laughs) to another. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And as always, y'all go be epic. We'll see you soon. Oh yeah, baby. We made it. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all the information on today's guest in the episode show notes. So be sure to give them some love. Please follow, like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you are listening. Your support means so much and it helps the folks like you find our tribe of trailblazing badass unicorns. Don't forget to join our free text community. Just text the word sweat remix to 855-534-2890 and you are in. Get your weekly doses of inspo and motivation to live your truth. And for more information on how you can join the Sweat Remix movement community, visit sweatremix.com. Thank you so much. And remember, go be epic.